I was having uh, dinner with some Fuller people uh, Friday night, and I met a lady from uh, another church. She was Dutch, right? She was Vander something. And, uh, Vander something, I don't know. <laughs> By the way, you know, when, you, uh, when it comes to Dutch, van means from. That's just for your information, in case you wonder why. <laughs> I learned that from this lady. Anyway, I asked her how her church was, and she says, it's dead. And you know, that kind of made me sad because that's the response I get so often. How's your church? Just dead. And then the other thing that I deal with as a pastor is um, a resistance to life. Uh, I find that beginning with this guy, I've, I've had to change so much since I was a Baptist uh, 35 years ago entering the ministry and how much I've changed in 23 years since I've come here. But you know, I'm absolutely convinced my responsibility as a pastor is to not only lead you scripturally, but to lead us in worship, to keep tabs on what the Holy Spirit is doing, and then to lead us in that direction. And change is difficult for some of us. We've been in change here for 23 years. But you know, the only thing that isn't changing is a corpse. But actually it is, it's decaying. And churches that are not changing are decaying and they're gonna die. And most of them are denominational churches. And nationally, the Holy Spirit for the last 10 years has been bringing a sweep of the Spirit, sometimes through churches like ours, that's rare, usually in spite of churches like ours with new churches. And, and that's where the action is. And that's where the Holy Spirit is. And after much reflection and prayer, I am convinced that we have to go with the Spirit. We can't go with poll taking. We can't go with what feels good of just keeping it cozy because the world is changing. We serve a dynamic God and He's changing. And I believe the Holy Spirit's doing a new thing. People are searching for joy. They're hungry for meaning. And um, a stale diet of sameness in the church just isn't going to cut it today. The gospel remains the same. The wine skin we wrap it in happily is always changing. And we're going to invite you because I believe the Holy Spirit has mandated it to come here and help us in the continuing response to where God wants to lead this congregation. We're not imitating anybody. We're simply looking for the Holy Spirit's guidance here. And I just invite you to join us in prayer. Search the scriptures. See what the scriptures say about worship. Read the Psalms. Read the New Testament. See if we're doing anything that's contrary to scripture. Not according to your hungers and what you're used to, but what does scripture say? That's what's finally convinced me to let it out. There was a guy here last night. He said, I think Walt's been released. And I, that sounded a little <laughs> it sounded a little charismatic to me, but you know, that's okay. Anyway, go with us. You know, it's not going to be, every week's going to be different. But pray with us that every week is in God's will. And one thing I just hope every week, you come here with the idea, how can I make this hour something good for somebody who needs it so desperately? Not how can I sit here and be entertained and uh, evaluate whether it's good for me or not. If we can get that change happening here, it'll revolutionize the church. And with all that said, would you bow with me in prayer? Gotta get my glasses. Lord, we are grateful today for the fact that you're a God who is always the same and yet always changing. Thank you that we can change. Thank you that we don't have to stay anchored to the past with past sins, past track records. But even today, we can have a brand new beginning. I pray we'll grasp that individually when it comes to the issue of purity in heart. And I pray you'll give each of us an insight, not into what the pastor's saying or the 
crowds are saying, but what you're saying to us personally about the role we ought to have in this church to make it more of a place where Jesus would be comfortable. Help us to hear that mandate personally and then respond. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I want us to think about a treasure that God offers every believer. A priceless treasure. I'm going to call it a clear conscience or good character or as our text calls it, purity of heart. The book of Proverbs says, a good name is more desirable than great riches, and to be esteemed is better than silver and gold. I believe that. A clear conscience, uh, you can't put a price tag on it. And conscience and character are related. Someone defined character as what we do when no one's looking. I think that's a good definition. And a tragedy of our time is that character is often being uh, compromised for expediency. Lack of character is actually being accepted as norm in our country, and I think that breaks God's heart. We've kind of settled for the lowest common denominator. I want to remind you today that Jesus is a stickler for character, a clear conscience, a pure heart. This helps us understand our text when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So first, what does Jesus mean by being pure in heart? That's important we understand it. Our Lord is never concerned about externals of religious behavior. You know, he's not impressed a bit about what we do here in worship, quiet or loud, unless it's coming from our heart. That's what's so important about any change in worship. We're not mechanically trying to change you. We're praying God's going to so change your heart, the stones will cry out if you don't cry out in worship. You see, Jesus focuses on, on that part of us where all behavior has, it, has its roots. That is the heart. Our text says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Purity of heart has to do with our identity as children of God. It has to do with our destiny that one day we're not going to be here on this earth forever. We're going to be in heaven with God someday, forever. And that has everything to do with why we're kind of a special group when we gather. This isn't a rock concert. This isn't an entertainment center. This is the people of God who are the children of God who are in this world for a purpose, but who are going to the next one and we're going to spend eternity there praising God. And in the process of being in this world, we're being changed into the likeness of God, into His holiness, into purity of heart. And that's why the Bible says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And as we grow through the years to love God more, I trust that our worship will be reflecting that desire to get close to Him. Now, purity of heart is related to right thinking and right behavior. We can't separate them. Most of us know intelligent, highly educated, irreligious people who know all the facts about Christianity but who choose not to follow Jesus. And then we read too often about one of our brightest, most competent political, business, or professional leaders going down in disgrace. Why? Because they lacked a pure heart. Because without character, without a pure heart, intellect alone can't guide our behavior. And this is why Jesus says, blessed are the pure 
who are pure not only on the surface, not only when they're dressed up Sunday morning, but at the core of their very being, who are consistent between how they appear in public and what they do in private when no one's looking. This issue is so big, purity of heart. It hasn't only to do with us personally. This is a national issue. Because heart and behavior are intimately related, solutions for the huge challenges facing our society will not come from government programs or regulations. A headline in the Mercury last week, maybe you caught it, is America falling apart. And the article went on to say that our traditional melting pot as a country is becoming a meltdown as we become more estranged from each other rather than becoming more one, we are becoming more polarized and that's very foreboding for the future. Jesus would teach us from this text that before social systems can change, before our polarized groups can come together in this country, hearts have to be changed. You can't legislate love or morality. Analysts agree about the civil rights revolution of the 60s, that it did not destroy racism in our country. Why? Because racism is an issue of the heart. I think Jesus made this so clear when he attacked the religious people of the day called the Pharisees. They were guys like me in robes and they were the religious leaders. And you know what he did? He, he just went and he said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look good, but inside you're full of corruption. And then he stated, and this is, this is the same Jesus who's meek and mild and we kind of love him and see him holding kids on his laps. Well, this is him. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. I find it interesting that Jesus was very wrathful with, with religious phonies while he was very loving and at home with prostitutes and other kinds of real honest-to-God sinners. That's a point we miss often. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Because purity of heart is so central then to our individual Christian lives and to the future of our country, I secondly want us to consider the important question, how do we become pure in heart? I reflected on this a long time because it's been a lifelong struggle for me and for you. Because the point is, we aren't pure in heart. And I've concluded, a pure heart begins with desire. Our text says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And everyone who has this hope in the future, in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. I think that the real issue here for us as modern Presbyterian Christians is that the Bible tells us the facts. We are citizens of two worlds. We belong to this world, we need to be totally involved in it, but we're also citizens of a world to come. And that part doesn't fit in with 20th century culture. We don't like to really think otherworldliness. And I doubt if many of us really think too much about the fact we're gonna spend eternity in heaven a lot longer than we're gonna spend here. The only time it comes alive for many of us, I've noticed through the years, is when you get a scary medical report, something reminds you of your mortality, and then you start kind of turning on to what's ahead because you have no choice. And I don't think it ought to be like that. The text says that we should be dividing our affections. Yes, we're supposed to be involved in this world, but we're supposed to set our affections on the world to come. If I asked you this morning, would you like a pure heart? Would you like a clear conscience? I imagine most of us would give a resounding yes. But then there's a stumbling block. 
For many of us, we want it, but we don't want it badly enough. We don't desire purity of heart as much as we want other things in this world. I think Colossians puts it well. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, our life is in other things. For the Christian, Christ is our life, and when he appears, then you will appear with him in glory. If that's true, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. We are being renewed. We are being made into the likeness of Jesus. We are being made purity into people with pure hearts. So purity of heart really is defined as putting off our old pre-Christian self putting on our new self in Christ. And that sounds good, and here's the problem. We can't do it in our own strength. We've tried, we're frustrated, and it's so hard for me to even preach on this because you've all heard it before. You can go, so here we go again, but by Wednesday I'm going to be back in my old self. I can't win this battle. God knows you can't. And I think that we've got wrong theology when, at the very issue where we think we can. See if you can follow me on this. Biblically, Pure means without blemish. It was originally used to describe water or milk free from pollution, silver or gold free from alloys, soil linen that had been washed clean. A person in, pure in heart is real, authentic, one whose motives coincide with his or her words. Now, obviously, in this life, no Christian can perfectly achieve this standard. So why did Jesus give it? We're almost programmed to be living hypocrites. What do we do with this? My suggestion that I believe is exactly what Jesus has in mind here is that all we can do is desire it and be heartbroken when we don't achieve it. And that the entire Christian life is this bottom line. Purity of heart is a gift of God. He has to give it. Purity of heart is not a goal we can achieve. It's a gift we receive and open with gratitude. If you're having trouble, listen to this verse in Hebrews. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Becoming pure in heart has nothing to do and never has with a preacher giving a law code. Now, this is what we're supposed to do. This is the standard of conduct God demands. And if we're good Christians, we'll obey it. And if you don't, God's going to zap you. So here we are caught in this bind all of our Christian life when that was never the gospel. The gospel is we're sinners, we'll always be sinners, we can't fix ourselves, and that's why Jesus came. And the only thing that we really can do is go stand under the shower, the washing, the bathing of the blood of the cross, and that covers over what we are so that when God sees us, he sees us as righteous as his own son. 
That cleanses our conscience. It washes our hearts. The Bible uses the term, we put on the robes of righteousness. It's, we're covered over. It's not a matter of becoming. The Jews tried throughout the whole Old Testament to obey the law. We can't. We still can't. We're creatures of grace. And that's why we celebrate in worship. If you once grasp the fact you aren't making it, but God loves you anyway, and he keeps loving you in spite of what you do, and he'll never stop loving you, that's the greatest reason in the world to celebrate. I'm offering, as I've said so often, becoming pure in heart is a lifelong journey. And as we travel together, we're going to need continual washing from repeated sin. We maintain a clear conscience, not because we're perfect, but by staying confessed up. I couldn't stand before you this week after the way I messed up last week. If I couldn't have been on my knees in my office yesterday, I got washed. I got confessed up so I can stand here and I don't feel like a total phony. That's how it works. Sins and failures are buried forever in the miracle of God's grace, not just once and for all, but all throughout our life. And every day is a new day where his mercies are new every morning. And so today, if you've had a bad track record this week, if your character has been squashed, you can leave here washed and you got a new beginning. And that's why we celebrate. We're not saints. We're pathetic sinners, continually covered by Christ's grace. And that's our message to the world. And that will keep us from being obnoxious Christians who go out and castigate everybody and judge everybody. How can we? We're no better than they are. The only difference is we know Jesus. That's gospel. So what can you give God today? We can give God our desire to be pure. As David prayed, create in me a clean heart, oh God, because I can't do it myself. That's right after he finished with Bathsheba. Or search me, oh God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me because I can't control it. You've got to take it away and bury it. An elder told about the Latin origin of the word sincere. It's related to purity. It's in our text. In Roman times, they lacked power tools, so polishing marble to a high luster and hiding blemishes on the surface was a very labor-intensive, long process. A shortcut was developed whereby an artisan would cover the surface of the marble with wax, making a luster easy to achieve and blemishes easy to cover. The only problem is when you took a marble statuary and put it out in the front yard and a hot day came, the wax melted and the luster disappeared and all the blemishes appeared. To remedy this deception, marble uh, polished without wax would bear a stamp, and they still do on some ancient statuary from Rome, sinna sira, meaning without wax, without deception. Obviously, one would pay a very high premium price for sincere or a pure piece of marble. I can't think of a better way to become a contagious Christian in our worlds and to understand this text. We really have two choices as Christians. We can put on wax and try to fool the world that we're holy, or we can bathe with the blood of Jesus Christ and be real inside, not because we're real, but because he is. And so we can forget the phony play acting and we can be just who we are, authentic and honest. And that is, as Paul said, sinners saved by grace. I love Paul. If you remember his letters, he started out saying, I'm the worst of all Christians. And his last letter, he said, I'm the very chief of sinners. He graduated to being the least of Christians to the worst of sinners. That's sort of what happens when we understand we're sinners saved by grace. 
And that's why we can go out and be loving rather than obnoxious in the world once we really grasp that. And you can tell I'm sort of into this because I'm up to my ears with obnoxious Christians who judge and I'm wanting myself and all of us to be loving Christians whose only claim to fame is Jesus died for us. Removing the wax of hypocrisy is the miraculous gift that God can give today to you, even if you have a bad track record. God can make you as pure as Jesus is today by the miracle of his grace. And so we leave here in worship with a brand new beginning. We may goof up by next week and we will, but not quite as badly. We're on a journey. And one day when we're with Jesus, we're going to be exactly like him, but you won't be till you get there. Maybe the hardest thing in the world is that's hard on our egos because we would really like to think we could achieve it and have to offer God something. And you know, when you get to heaven, the only thing you can offer God is, God, I'm so grateful I'm here because I know I don't deserve it. It's the only thing you can offer him. Now, the text closes with the reward for being pure in heart. And that is you're going to see God. Well, in an earthly sense, believers see God at work in nature, in our circumstances, in answers to our prayer. Many of us see him in worship. But our text indicates Jesus is thinking more about that future time when he will return and we're going to be transformed into his likeness and we're going to see God face to face. The Bible talks in our text about the death of Jesus. Remember when it, at the death of Jesus, the veil in the temple was torn in two. That veil covered the Holy of Holies where God was. And when it was torn in two, it symbolized our access as unholy people that we can go into a holy God because we've been washed with the blood of Jesus. We aren't separated from a holy God anymore. The way is open through faith for sinners to be made holy. This hunger to see God and to find him is so widespread today. Look at all the Hollywood people again with their gurus and their new age and New Age is alive here. I'm glad people at least will go into something, even if it's New Age and their hunger for God, because I know if they're on a journey, that won't satisfy them. There's only one way to get totally satisfied for your hunger for God, at least in my experience, and that's through knowing Jesus. Jesus satisfies my hunger to see God. He told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is why our text urges us today that if you really want to see God, then, then in the midst of this busy world where we get so involved, we need to take some time to think about the world to come, to set our affections not only here, but that time when we're going to see God. And you know why we're happy about it? Because when you wake up at night, as I do sometimes, and feel awful and guilty and all this kind of stuff, and if you don't, you're fortunate, but there's times when I realize I wonder how God can love me. I'm reminded of this fact. I'm going to meet God not as a wrathful judge, but as a father welcoming us home with arms outstretched in love as he did the prodigal. That's good news. It is indeed true. Blessed are the pure in heart, for we shall see God for what he really is, not a judge ready to drop a hatchet on us because we can't measure up, but a father with a bleeding heart for his children who's been watching for us. And when he sees us coming home to the far country, he's not there to punish. He's there to invite us to his party. So as we close this morning, I want us to do something. This new... Continued thrust in worship isn't just for more noise and more joy and letting yourself go. It's also for more quiet. 
Bob Munger wrote a great sermon years ago, My Heart Cries Home. I'm going to invite you to take just a few moments here today to go on a tour of your heart with the Holy Spirit. We all have various rooms, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit find the stuff in there that we need to confess and we need to turn from. And I want each of you to experience this gift of a pure heart, of a good character. Today, it's for the taking. It's for the confessing. Let's have some moments of just quiet prayer between us and God. Lord Jesus, we'll spend a lifetime trying to understand the miraculous truth that though our sins are like scarlet, they can become white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, they can become white as wool. You made it possible by your death. Thank you. Thank you. And give us increased insight into what it means to be washed with the blood of Jesus and to be cleansed of a, of a, and given a clear conscience, a pure heart. We give you the house cleaning. We pray, O oh God, that today you'll send us out with a new beginning and a new desire to be pure. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>